You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I'm so glad you're able to join us if you are joining us live and or thanks for downloading the program after the fact. Uh, for those of you joining us live, you have chosen the right sports program to, to watch this evening and not... Uh, a particular award show thrown by the Four Letter Network. So uh, we appreciate you tuning in. Thanks for tuning in. I'm going to hopefully be joined by one or both uh, a couple of co-hosts. Unfortunately, John Sheeran, who is going to try and make this a semi-regular thing that he is going to be on this program. He couldn't make it this week. And my my usual co-host, uh, Scott Schultz, he couldn't make it because he threw out his back, I suppose, today. Uh, he had every intention of... of joining us and everything and uh, unfortunately today he had a little bit of an issue and uh, he might be able to join us he's he kind of did some things to help remedy that so give send scott some good vibes whether or not he joins us uh, send him some good vibes so that uh, his back heals up and that we can get him on the program uh coming up here pretty soon and then also i might be joined by joe goodberry uh, got, got a lot of maybes <laughs> tonight but that's okay uh, Joe, Joe Goodberry is a, uh, you know, a somewhat regular guest on this program. He writes for the athletic former Cincy jungle contributor and uh, draft analyst. Uh, you know, we haven't had him on, I don't think since a uh, little bit after the draft or so. So I want to, you know, get his, his take on things as well as he, and this is something that's going to be coming up on the next couple of episodes, but both he and John Sheeran uh, should be in attendance at Bengals training camp coming up here. Uh, so I'm, I'm interested. Obviously, I would love to have them on tonight as well. But um, I, the, I do want them on in the near future as well because they will uh, be, be seeing the sights and sounds in person from the Bengals uh, training camp. So – Training camp starts July 26th, and for those of you who are tuning in live today, uh, which is a Wednesday evening, it's July 18th. So uh, just over a week from now, the Bengals will be in training camp and uh, will be getting the, you know, a lot of sights and sounds, a lot of news coming out of the uh, the the what the team's doing, how they look, all that kind of stuff. I had a few things on tap tonight, uh, aside from usual listener questions. I'm going to try and get to those. Um, so uh, we'll get to those at the end here. But what I did want to get to, unfortunately, um, seeing as how I think we're going to talk a little more training camp next week uh, when we have other hosts and, and potential guests cemented in, as well as – um, the fact that training camp will be starting that week. So, uh, you know, I think, I think we'll kind of go with that for next week, but unfortunately 
the I, I kind of want to start with the negative news machine <laughs> that is surrounding the Cincinnati Bengals this offseason. And it's it's hard it's hard to sit here and say, well, I you know, I, I can't say that I don't understand it. I can't say that I don't expect it. Um there there are I, I've kind of said this before on this program, other programs, and on cincyjungle.com where it's almost, you know, it, I don't want to call it lazy journalism because these guys, I mean, I've, I don't want to even call myself a, a journalist per se, but I've written quite a few articles over the number of years with cincyjungle.com. And I know the work that it goes in, that goes into and the research that goes into some of these things. But I mean, there is a little bit of a sense of lazy journalism, a little bit going on with the Cincinnati Bengals this year. I mean, uh, we'll get to some, some haters and some certain things there in a second, but it's almost like a because it's the Bengals mentality, a quote unquote, just because it's the Bengals. And I, I can't say I totally disagree with that. The Bengals have yet to win a playoff game under Marvin Lewis with a number of different, with three, basically three or four different starting quarterbacks, depending on how you want to look at it Carson Palmer, John Kitna, AJ McCarron, Andy Dalton. Um, but and Kitna didn't start. I know, I know he came in, but he came in very early into that game. So essentially Marvin Lewis has had four quarterbacks and has seven playoff losses. So, and no wins. So that's, that's something he was retained this year. Obviously there are people that sit there and see that and go, well, okay, what, how, how do we expect things to be different? Management is still in place. There are there there have been the shakeups on the coaching staff, obviously, and that's a big that's a big deal. Um, even though they are at the assistant ranks, there are some that seem to probably be able to give the Bengals a, a number of different improvements. Uh, Terrell Austin and Frank Pollock, obviously, being being the two that really stand out in that group. But for the most part, the Bengals still seem to be an afterthought in the AFC, still seem to be an afterthought in, in a lot of national media members' minds. Now, some people can sit here and say, well, I don't really care. I don't, I, you know, it's not a big deal. It just matters what they do on the field. And, and I get that true. Um, I, I get it. And it's it's really just national opinion, as I said. Lazy journalism might take place um, in in some of these analyses that that are coming out. Now, I'm going to get to some of the Bengals, the top Bengals haters. If if you've tuned into this program for a long time, we've done a a segment here and there called Bengals Hater of the Week, and it's usually a media member. Stephen A. Smith, I believe, was was a a, a prestigious winner. Um, of this award and and other awards, uh, other awardees have also been uh, named on this program. But I, I kind of want to name just the top Bengals haters, and I wish I kind of had a little bit of a roundtable of co-hosts to talk about this uh, tonight. But nevertheless, since it's been so prevalent this off season, I, I think it's worth sharing. Now, I, I will say the most recent issue has come from. ESPN and ESPN has been a regular knocker of the Bengals, I guess, if you want to call them that they, uh, 
basically have not been impressed with what the Bengals have done. And uh, my colleague, John Sheeran had written a post on cincyjungle.com about how the Bengals will be a bottom five team during the next five years. And the, and the couple of people that they noted in the, and, and they are well-respected writers, especially um, Lewis Riddick, who worked in NFL front offices, but they basically have some sort of metric that I don't necessarily agree with. Um, basically, the, their their ranking of things, they, they kind of did a percentage system. Roster was 19th. Quarterback group, and not just Andy Dalton, the group itself, 29th, meaning 19th in the league, 29th in the league. Coaching, 30th in the league. Draft, 17th. Front office, 27th. Now, you sit here and you go, okay, well, number one, I think – the issue, if you, if you think coaching is the issue, fair. I don't think the roster necessarily is the issue. So that's where I have an issue with, uh, you know, I, I kind of come to contention with the 19th ranked roster in the league. I can see how you maybe want to say middle of the pack, maybe top 12. Um, obviously, if this roster, if everybody stays healthy, everything falls into place as a top five roster. John Ross, Tyler Eifert. Vontez Burfitt comes back and, and plays the rest of the season and plays the way he can. Um, Andy Dalton plays more like the 2015 Andy Dalton. This roster is actually probably a top 10, maybe even top five type of roster. Um, I don't see how you go, okay, how, how do you have your draft class, your draft approach, your draft class, whatever their thinking is on that 17th, yet your front office is ranked 27th. The draft is a major part of what the Bengals do and a major part of what they're about. There's a major disparity there. Regardless, I get it. This is talking points right before training camp. I get it. Um, really what it comes down to with Lewis Riddick's take, does anything ever really change in Cincinnati? Question mark, quote unquote. Um, that's really what it's about. And then he continues on. This is a team that year after year has enough athletes and skilled players to make some noise in its division and conference. However, the problems remain the same. So if they have enough athletes and skilled players to make some noise in the conference in their division, how is their roster ranked 19th overall? I don't get it. So I, I, I guess I sit here and I, you know, as we, as we sit here now, I, I don't understand that one. Now we're going to get to some others. And they are prominent national media members that have continued to hate on the Bengals. Um, and it is what it is. Now, it's going to be interesting to see, before I dive into these, these folks, it's going to be interesting to see what the Bengals and the players do this year. Because this, this year kind of has a, a little bit of a similar feel to 2011. I, I guess actually more like 2009. Um, 2011, they were just picked to be awful. And I mean, they, the roster was, they had at the, at the time, their top two wideouts gone, their starting quarterback gone. Um, Cedric Benson was kind of a, a roller coaster at the time who was their starting running back. Um, I, I, you know, at that point you were like, you, you may have thought that this was staring back at a three and 13 year type of thing. Obviously, they went 9-7 and seven that year and made the playoffs. Pretty big surprise. And one of the better seasons under Marvin Lewis in terms of what he did with who he had. Now, I look back more at 2009 where there's, there's the veterans. They have the veteran core. They've got some guys, guys coming back from injury. But there's just so many question marks. Now, in 2009, 
the Bengals were picked to maybe be a mediocre type of team. They ended up sweeping the AFC North, um, you know, having a great year that year. They still lost in the first round of the playoffs to the Jets, but um, very good year. Now, I kind of I kind of look back at that year, not so much 2011, and this year. I'm not predicting playoffs necessarily for the Bengals per se, but I think that all of this hate that they're receiving, I think a lot of these a lot of these folks are are in for kind of a little bit of a rude awakening, uh, because this team is not really as bad as they think. And everybody, of course, is on the, the Steelers bandwagon and the big talking point this week uh, or this offseason. And I can't wait to get someone from uh, Dogs by Nature on this program to talk about the Browns. But everybody thinks that you know their big talking point because they want to be the, the the guy or the gal that predicts it that the Browns are going to be, you know, this major renaissance type of team, a team that, you know, is going to do well. And and a lot of people even predict might be better than the Bengals. Now, one of those people who predicted that the Browns will be better than the Bengals is Colin Cowherd of Fox Sports. And if you have listened to, and this is where we're getting into the, the major haters of the Bengals. If you have listened to Colin Cowherd for any period of time, he does not trust or like Andy Dalton as a quarterback. He probably likes him as a guy, whatever. He does not trust Marvin Lewis as a head coach, and he does not like the Bengals organization. Now, those are all valid points of contention in one way or another, but he has them basically finishing dead last in the AFC North this year, tied record-wise with the Cleveland Browns, um, and that's – including a, a relatively easy schedule. You know, he claims they're going to probably go 0-3, 0-4 to start the season. Um, and if you go on his, it, it, whether or not you like his program, whatever, you can check out his stuff on on his on his social media and all that stuff. There, the video, I'm sure, is up there. There's a clip that kind of went a little bit viral about, and, and there's another one I want to talk about too, but Colin Coward has always been a guy that really likes and uh, has favored organizations that have it together. Um, He's a big Patriots guy. He really likes the Yankees. He really, you know, he he likes those big dynastic type of teams. And he is not shy about telling you about it. And so... I don't know if you want to say it's just easy because, you know, national media guy, he has to cover basketball. He has to cover football. He has to cover baseball. Um, You know, I I assume it's hard to keep track of every single transaction of every single team and all that. I'm going to say this in his blasting of the Bengals and his predictions of the Bengals finishing last in in the AFC North, Colin Cowherd referenced the fact that Adam Jones just got arrested. And he said that in a tone that made me and probably anyone who listens to that clip believe that he thinks Adam Jones is still on the roster. Adam Jones is not on the roster, Colin. Uh, that That's just, uh, it, it's not accurate. Um, so if you're, if you're kind of doing the narrative of, oh, same old bangles, they're the safe haven of, of troubled people, troubled players, um, Adam Jones isn't on the team. Now, that doesn't mean he won't be added to the team if there's an injury or what have you later in the year. He's still a free agent. But let's not sit here and, and paint a picture that isn't accurate. And that's that's kind of what Colin Cowherd did. 
Another big Bengals hater that I've noticed, and, and this isn't to, to blast these guys. I mean, they do they they have national programs, they have big viewership, big readership. So I mean, it it is what it, you know. They have successful careers, and I you know whatever, but they also just kind of all they do is regurgitate narratives and. I'm not saying the Bengals are going to win the Super Bowl this year. I'm not even saying they're going to make the playoffs this year. They very well could make the playoffs this year. They very well could be. I think I've told a lot of people whether or not they make the playoffs this year. I think they will be far more enjoyable and more fun and entertaining to watch than the last two years that we've witnessed 2016-2017. Now, whether that equates to a, a, a massive amount of more wins or what have you, I don't know. But I think that this team this year will be much more entertaining to watch I think there will be a, a better team. I, I just think they'll be better. I just don't know how many wins that's going to increase over what we've seen over the past two years. But regardless, Adam, I, I can't, I don't know his, uh, how to totally pronounce his last name, Adam Sheen or Adam Shine. Uh, he's a New York media personality mostly, but he also does a lot of stuff for NFL Network, NFL.com, a lot of writing, and of course, um, in talking about teams and previews and all of that, he has once again pointed to the Bengals, and he is probably the biggest Andy Dalton hater I have ever seen in the national media. Um, again, there's not oh, Andy Dalton as a, as a playoff starter, 0 and 4, terrible performances for the most part. Um, you can't hate him. You can't hate on Adam Shine to point that out, but at the same time. It just seems like a piling on of of things and a piling on of old narratives, a piling on of old stereotypes on the Bengals. And I, I want to talk about these haters because I want to say I, I'm interested, as I mentioned at the on, onset of this segment, I'm interested to see what the Bengals will do this year, how they will react if they take this kind of stuff as bulletin board material you know, players can sit here and, and do the football speak all they want. Ah, I tune that stuff out. I tune that stuff out. I'm telling you what, they don't. And I'm telling you just based on my experience at Cincy Jungle, a, a prominent – through SB Nation, a prominent sports blog, I've been contacted by people, um, relatives, agents, all kinds of stuff about stuff I have written, stuff that's been on our site, um, because people have read it. And – uh I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying that stuff's out there and players can say what they want. These are young guys who are on social media. They see stuff. I'm sure their friends see stuff and send it to them. Hey, did you see this about you or what have you? They read stuff. And, uh, you know, this stuff that comes out, especially on NFL.com, stuff on Fox Sports from Colin Cowherd and Adam Shine. You know, I, I, I am hard-pressed to believe that this kind of stuff – is not being seen by a, a number of, uh, you know, a number of different uh, number of different players on the Bengals. Peter Nefus in our live YouTube chat says, "I'm okay with the Bengals playing under the radar. Low expectations equals low pressure." Um, that's you know, and and I agree with that sentiment. And maybe that's the sentiment that the Bengals. After five straight playoff seasons, loss, 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 loss. Marvin Lewis here for a long time, 0-7 playoff record. Andy Dalton 0-4 as a starter in, in the postseason. Maybe it's time. Hey, let's have some fun. Who cares what those people say? 
who can, I mean, at, at some point as a, as a sports team, whether you're a coach or a player, let's just take the pressure off and let's just do what we do and have some fun. And I, I think if you witness what the band, now maybe that's just not possible with some of the figureheads in this, in this franchise, Marvin Lewis, Andy Dalton, I mean, to a, both a lesser and bigger extent, Mike Brown, but you can see it in these big games, how tight the team plays. They play so tight. Um, and I would just like them to show a little bit more of a lax nature, a little bit more of, Hey, let's just go out there. Let's have fun. We've prepped. Well, let's, let's just, you know, let our talent take over and, and go from there. But, um, you know, uh, it, uh, I'm kind of at a loss in terms of, what else to say about these haters? These guys are always going to hate, and and these two guys are always going to talk about them until the Bengals, and namely Marvin Lewis, Andy Dalton, make changes, win playoff games, and Mike Brown does some things differently in the organization. We're going to talk about that in just a second. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Kazenza. I will hopefully be joined by either Scott Schulte and or Joe Goodberry later tonight. We'll see. Um, if not, you got you got me. You got me. Uh, but I appreciate you tuning in live. I appreciate all of you who download this program. You can get it on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, CincyJungle.com. And um, you can get in touch with us via email, theobinsider at gmail.com, or via Twitter, at BanglesOBI. We're going to be taking a couple of listener questions at the end of the program. So leave it in the live YouTube chat. Hit us up on Twitter. Or uh, if email is the best, you could do it there. Also... We will. We are uh, monitoring the comment thread in uh, on CincyJungle.com. So if you've got a question there, uh, definitely leave it, and we will try to get to it at the end of the show. I wanted to kind of go a different direction, but I guess this is a pretty good segue in terms of um, in terms of organizational issues. You know, the, the, I talked about Mike Brown changing. Also on Colin Cowherd's show recently. TJ Hushmanzada, veteran receiver and, and retired receiver, played a number of seasons in Cincinnati and has still holds the single season record for uh, catches in a season with 112. He went on Colin Cowherd's show and made a number of interesting proclamations. And if you're on Twitter, this was subsequently backed up by former Bengals cornerback, Ashley Ambrose, who made a Pro Bowl with the Bengals in 96. And um, after kind of putting some stuff out there, Ashley Ambrose uh, followed me on Twitter. So Coach Ambrose, good to see you. Thanks for following me. Um, but interesting and disturbing details coming from TJ Hushmanzada, if you haven't heard about this. And I, I again, I don't want to make this show completely negative because we are going into training camp. We are. I'm going to talk about some other stuff that's a little more positive, but this is stuff that is worth noting. TJ Hushmanzada, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you this right now. It's going to start very, very negative, and then it'll kind of his his stuff kind of spins a little positive, and I'll tell you why in just a second. So. TJ Ishmanzada was a seventh-round pick in 2001. Obviously, college teammates with Chad Johnson. Those two ended up teaming up and being a very formidable uh, duo, a receiving duo, 
obviously the team had other guys, Chris Henry, Kelly Washington, guys that really helped out at wide receiver as well. But those were the two most high profile guys, both in production and uh, swagger, I guess. <laughs> um, but TJ Hushmanzada, one of my, really one of my favorite players uh, of, of who has played for the Bengals uh, really in recent years. I've actually met him in person, decent guy, um, like him, you know, good guy, personable. He has not been one to shy away from just telling stuff like it is. And what's interesting is he has been, and I guess it's because of uh, the Southern California connection. Um, Hoosh lives in Barstow, California, which is um, – kind of towards the desert a little bit um, of, of California, probably from where I live in, in Orange County, California. It's about two, two and a half hours away drive. Um, John Ross, he's been working with John Ross this off season and doing a lot of, a lot of stuff with him. John Ross went to Long Beach or lived in Long Beach um, and uh, Long Beach is South, Southwest LA essentially. So, you know, not, not far from each other, those guys, uh, you know, distance-wise are, are doing a lot of stuff and uh, they're working together, which is cool. However, Hoosh went on Colin Cowherd's show and noted that the Bengals had used, had offered players, used jock straps. They did things where, and this one I kind of knew about, um, players stayed at home the night before a game. They didn't stay in a hotel with the rest of the team. And then of course he also talked about like, you know, they didn't supply bottled water, Gatorade, all that kind of stuff. Now, when, when this, when we relayed this story on cincyjungle.com, there was overwhelmingly, you know, basically screw Mike Brown type of comments. And, you know, this is, this is not surprising because that's Mike Brown in a nutshell, that sort of thing. There are a couple of folks who actually kind of came in, I don't want to say came to the defense of Mike Brown, but actually said, made comments such as, you know, why should, why should he, meaning Mike Brown, why should he be forced to give his players bottles of Gatorade, bottles of water, fresh equipment? You know, why should he pay for that when these guys are making a lot of money? You know, I, I kind of see that a little bit, but this is, you know, if, if you're a small business owner that owns a business that isn't making, you know, isn't a multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar type of enterprise, I can see not necessarily supplying Gatorade or water to your employees on a daily basis. This is a, even in the 90s and early 2000s when, Yes, football was very popular, but it still it still wasn't as popular and as big as it is. Fantasy football has really taken off since the '90s and, and early 2000s. Um, you know, th there's a number of different ways to watch games. Thursday night football has become a thing during the week, so there's a lot of different stuff and a lot of different ways that owners can make a lot of money. This the the point is is this is a professional sports franchise and. Yes, if this was a small business thing, I understand a small business owner maybe not being able to afford or nor should they feel inclined to afford some of the luxuries to their its employees if they're if that 
payroll isn't isn't necessarily dictating that. This is the, the Browns have you know their their franchise is essentially worth about a billion dollars. We've seen the figures over the last handful of years. It's in the 800, 900 millions, according to Forbes magazine. This is a this is an owner and this is a family. This is a team that can really afford to buy and and supply new jock straps. <laughs> Not used ones, new jog straps to its players. You can go, hell, you can go to Sam's Club or Costco or whatever if you really want to save money and go buy pallets of Gatorade and waters to give to your to your team. These are little things that add up to big things. That's kind of my point. And it's why the Bengals have always been an afterthought in free agency. It's why... There's a stigma about the ownership and the way the team is run the way it is. And it's why, you know, they've kind of been a little bit of a, a laughing stock amongst the league. Now, you can place blame wherever you want. You can place it on Mike Brown. You can place it on his father, who also was very frugal about some of these things for their players. What Whatever... Whatever you, you know, whatever your thoughts are on this. My point is, is the Bengals are not presenting themselves or, or let me, let me backtrack. At least in the, in the Mike Brown or the early part of Mike Brown era, they have not presented themselves as a first class franchise. And that has never been their MO. That has never been, you know, they, they, it's almost, it's almost as if, at least from 90, 91 until 2002, and you'll see why in a second why I, I stop it at 2002, it's almost as if the Brown family or Mike Brown is, this. you are privileged to play for us. Yes, that's true to a certain extent. You are making a lot of money. You're playing professional, you're playing a professional sport, you know, and barring something ridiculous, you're going to have a lot of money for a good por portion of your life if you're responsible with it. I get that. But this is a, a professional sports franchise and in, in the most successful American sports league there is that just basically prints its own money. You, you got to do the little things. You got to do the little things. Now, TJ's, you know, eye-opening remarks were very tough to swallow again not totally not totally surprising unfortunately i mean that's just it is what it is there but what he did say is that things changed when marvin lewis came on board now marvin lewis did come from one of the premier franchises, I guess, in the Baltimore Ravens. And I say premier because they had just won a Super Bowl a few years before he had gotten to uh, Cincinnati. I don't know what the job interview was with Marvin. I don't know some of the, if he, you know, usually in a job interview, there's kind of like, you know, what, what ideas would you bring to the table? There's some sort of generic question like that. I don't know if Marvin said, look, we got to do the little things better. And it's kind of ironic because there's so many little things when he's been a head coach, whether it's challenges or getting prepped for primetime games or playoff games, that sort of thing where he did not, he has not shown up on that front, but there are things and Hushman Zada said it that when Marvin came on board, 
things changed. Things changed, and for the better. Guys were staying at the same hotel. They were meeting the night before, the day before games. Um, I I don't know about the Gatorade thing because you heard Jonathan Joseph when he left in free agency uh, back in, in the 2011 offseason. He kind of pissed and moaned about that, whatever. Um, but there, there's at least he has brought some sort of semblance of modernity, modernity to the team and a sense of professionalism on some level uh, to, to a team that's just kind of been, eh, you know, we're going to, we're going to get guys. We're going to hope we get talent and we're going to pay, pay guys some money. And that's that. Now, obviously they're a little bit more professional than that. They were more professional than that than the nineties and early two thousands, but that all, you can kind of see the attitude. I mean, it, it's it's a little eye-opening from T.J. Hushmanzada that he has uh, brought that about in, especially publicly. And uh, some of the stuff you hear is just yikes. And that's not what a professional football team – and again – you know, people can say, "Well, I I don't get this kind of stuff I, I, at my job, and I don't I don't." Yeah, true. Uh, you may not get bottles of water on the regular, but you may have a water jug where you can get all the water you want. You may have I I don't know. You may have other perks uh, that other other guys don't. Um, and I'm not saying the football players are are better people than than regular citizens, but when you are working for an organization that is within one of the, you know, top one, two percent in terms of what the team makes, what these players make, I, I kind of think, you know, you, you supply them with this stuff and, and little things go a long way sometimes with employees and little things create big things. And it's good to hear that Marvin Lewis, and, and I think for a lot of people, especially myself, when you hear, you know, you kind of look at Marvin coming back again this offseason, you're going, really? Uh, when you hear this kind of stuff, you are inclined to think, you know, maybe he does have the old man's ear a little bit. Maybe he did, he has made some changes that we have not fully seen. It's kind of more behind the scenes stuff. And, and Lewis has done that. So uh, at a minimum, aside from making the team competitive, and, and I think that that's, that correlates, you know, if, if, if what TJ is saying is true in terms of Lewis making these small changes that end up being big ones, obviously it is correlated to the team, at least being competitive, winning division titles, things that they did not do, for in 13 years before his arrival. So I, I, I don't, you know, I haven't, I've been very up and down about my support for Marvin Lewis, but at a minimum, I have to give him a little bit of a pat on the back on that because it sounds like the team has, he has, he as a head coach has made some very significant strides in terms of doing some of these small things for the players and making this more of a, uh, a professional atmosphere for the Bengals. So uh, you got to give them some kudos on that. And you also got to say, you know, shame on whoever it was, Mike Brown, his lack of a general manager to, to allow some of this stuff to happen um, over the past, you know, in the pre Marvin Lewis era. So what do you think? You can let us know in the live YouTube chat or uh, other, other avenues. Again, we're on 
YouTube, SoundCloud, uh, iTunes, CincyJungle.com. Um, you can join us every week in the live YouTube chat. You can also get in touch with us uh, via email, theobinsider at gmail.com. And the on, on Twitter, at BengalsOBI, we're going to be answering a few more questions, uh, a few listener questions at the end of the show. I'm just going to kind of uh, go through a couple of live comments. Um, Michael Myers, uh, honestly, water and Gatorade for 100-plus players and staff is, what, 300 to $400 a game? Come on, man. I assume that means he is in support of – uh, the fact that the Bengals should be supplying this. It, that's kind of the tone I got there. Um, I, I mentioned the ESPN post, Nick Marks, that ESPN post that just hit Cincy Jungle mentioned lack of faith in the front office owner. I'm not familiar enough with the rest of the league situations to really know if it is bad as everyone says. That's true. That's true. You know, um, unfortunately, you just kind of you, you hear a, little, a, a few more things about the Bengals organizational structure and how it's not so great than you do about other teams. So that's kind of where I'm like, well, um, where there's smoke, there's fire a little bit. Um, let's see. Uh, disheartening Nick Marks again, disheartening for newer fans to read that stuff is that doesn't appear. It is going to change anytime soon. It might not. Um, Mr. Blaze one eight seven says Mike Brown will not change waste of breath. Need Katie to take over. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I see some things and hear some things from Katie Blackburn that, that seems refreshing, but uh, again, she's, <laughs> she's still the offspring of Mike and she's been around. She, she's seen how her father has run the team. She's seen how her grandfather has run the team. It's going to take, I think it's not only going to take a potentially a, a more, modern look at things like Katie Blackburn could potentially bring, but it's going to take another outside force, maybe along with Marvin Lewis. Maybe it's a different one from Marvin Lewis, but it's going to take a general manager. It's going to take someone that they hire from the outside, like they did with Marvin Lewis. And it's going to take them getting the ears of leadership to be able to, to be able to do this. Um, so we'll see. Um, Let's see what time we got. Uh, we're, we're running a little short on time, but I, I'm just going to touch on this subject. Um, and it's, I think it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good debate topic. And I, the only reason I bring it up is because in case you have not been uh, paying attention to CincyJungle.com, I've been unveiling a top 10 players under Marvin Lewis uh, list on CincyJungle.com. So far, in case you haven't seen, uh, what we've unveiled is number 10 is Leon Hall. Number uh, nine was Rudy Johnson. Number eight was Andy Dalton. And number seven was Carlos Dunlap. When I unveiled Andy Dalton at number eight, there was some polarizing comments there. And there were some polarizing opinions kind of saying, essentially, that Andy Dalton should be ranked ahead of Carson Palmer on a list such as this in the Marvin Lewis era. Um, I see the, I see the point. I see the argument. Spoiler alert. That's not how I have it. Um, and I'm not going to tell you Carson Palmer does make the list and he does make the list ahead of Andy Dalton. I'm not going to tell you where uh, you got to You're going to have to read. 
going to make you do some work. Um, but that's how I have it. And yes, Andy Dalton has supplanted Carson Palmer in terms of record books, in terms of playoff appearances, and in terms of you know certain things. And it's it's a close argument. It's a close it's a close debate. I think a lot of people are more inclined to side with Dalton because of who Andy Dalton is as a guy and because of what happened with Carson Palmer and him leaving the franchise. But, you know, yes, both guys had a lot of surrounding talent. However, Palmer had less surrounding talent on defense than what Dalton has had. Dalton has inherited a, a, an excellent defense. Um, he inherited AJ Green. He, you know, he, he's had a lot. I, I think a lot more to work with. Now, Carson Palmer had probably a better offensive line throughout most of his career with the Bengals than Andy Dalton did, particularly the last two seasons we've seen from from the Bengals' offensive line. But you know, I, I just I think where the Bengals were what they needed out of a number one overall pick. The fact that he made, he sent that sent them to two playoff births, births with two very different looking rosters. I just have part Palmer slightly above Andy Dalton at this point in terms of overall Bengals players and the Marvin Lewis era. And I also think that, you know, when you were to construct the, Blueprint, I guess, of an NFL quarterback. 6'5", 230, rocket arm, accurate, uh, pocket passer. He was very immobile compared to, say, a guy like Aaron Rodgers or, or what have you that still have a lot of those traits. But he is a, a classic pocket passer. That, And if you watch some of his throws, they were ridiculous. And it, uh, granted, it needed to have good protection. Things needed to kind of hold up. And, uh, you know, guys needed to do their jobs. But to me, I still have Carson Palmer a little bit ahead of Andy Dalton in terms of quarterbacks, in terms of what's happened with this team. Now, I think when it's all said and done, um, and obviously the, the Andy Dalton story has yet to be written, uh, fully written at least, um, you know, I, I think I, I think there's just uh, a little bit of a difference there. Now, unfortunately for Palmer, now you know you look at the playoffs. Okay, Dalton has lost four games as a starter. I guess you could say Palmer lost two games as a starter. I mean, he basically he threw one pass. He pl he played two offensive snaps and and threw one pass in one of the playoff bursts, and the pass was a 66 yard completion. So who knows how he would have played had he been healthy the rest of that Steelers game. I still contend that the Bengals probably would have barely won that game, maybe moved on to AFC Championship, probably not Super Bowl, but probably would have made some noise that year had Carson Palmer not been hurt. Of course, woulda, coulda, shoulda. We know that. I, I just, you know, I, I think about what Palmer did that year, and yes, he had a lot of help. Um, I think about what could have been with that, and I think that the fact that you know, Dalton in the primetime games, Dalton in those playoff games has played awful. And we really only saw Palmer, who didn't play well against the Jets in the in that 2009 wildcard game. We really only saw him play one playoff game. Um, so it's hard to sit here and say, well, 
you know, if you gave Palmer four opportunities, he wouldn't have played as, as well, or he would have played worse than Dalton. You can't really say that. Um, but you also have to marvel at the fact that Dalton did lead the team uh, to five straight playoff berths. Again, four, he had four straight uh, starts in the playoffs and, and he broke a number of Carson Palmer's records. To me, it's just, it's, it's close, but for right now, I still, I still have Carson Palmer based on what he inherited what he the how he was able to raise a level of play from certain players around him um and and just i guess a little bit of nostalgia in the fact that the team was so bad before he took over as the starter um essentially without with the exception of 2003 um was so bad and was in such a bad way at the quarterback position that he you know gave them a massive boost at that spot. And uh, that's who I have. Um, I, I, I do want to hear from you and your thoughts on if you got Palmer or Dalton. Um, I, I'm looking here. I'm seeing. Uh, Peter Nephis has agreed. If Dalton gets a ring, his numbers are good enough for the hall of fame. I, you know, I, I see that, I, you know, I think if, especially if he goes on a run like a, like a Flacco, um, you know, historically with it, unfortunately, here's the thing. I mean, if you look at his numbers, he's got the highest quarterback rating in Bengals history with anyone who has significant pass attempts. He's got, uh, I think he's second or third in overall passing yards. He owns two of the single season passing yard records. He owns the single season uh, touchdown record. So, I mean, he owns a lot of records. It's just the fact of playing it's it's playing poorly when the lights are the brightest. And I think this is a great uh, Andrew Seiler says Dalton for sure. Um, Rick Reed says Car Carson would have got killed with that l last year with that line. Well, yeah, because Carson Carson may have ma been able to make some throws that Dalton cannot make because of arm strength and a little bit of accuracy and all that kind of stuff. But uh, Dalton at least is a bit more mobile than, than Carson is. And uh, you know, or was cause Carson retired now, but uh, you know, I think because Carson was a bit more of a statue behind that line last year, that would have been a disaster. So uh, agreed with Rick Reed there. Um, and Mr. Uh, Zachary Stemple, I think this was this kind of an interesting take. And uh, Zachary knows how to ride a fence. Apparently, um, they are about equal, honestly, and and that's fair. That's fair. I mean, there's a lot of feathers in the cap for both guys, and a lot of different, um, a lot of different takes. And I think when it's all said and done, we'll probably say that Andy Dalton is a bet was a better Bengals quarterback than Carson Palmer, um, based on career stats and all of that. But he's he's got to do more in the postseason. And uh, so, for those of you who have been paying attention to those top 10 Bengals players in Marvin Lewis era uh, on Cincy jungle. We'll be counting those down. Carson Palmer has yet to make his appearance, but he will be making it and he will be ahead of Andy Dalton like it or not. Um, but I think it's worth a debate. And I think that that's going to be a lively one once that post goes up, but check it out. It should be coming up over the next week, week and a half. And uh, uh, I think it's enjoyable. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in tonight. We're going to get out of here with some listener questions, but uh, in case you are new to the program, uh, thanks for tuning in live. Thanks for downloading the program. You can get it on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, uh, cincyjungle.com. And then you can also get all of our stuff and get in contact with us.
via Twitter at Bengals OBI and via email, the OB insider at gmail.com. Uh, we got some stuff on our Twitter and it's actually from a, a, one of our regular listeners, Carlos Andre at Carlos Andre 81. Um, are you worried about the Bengals quarterback room? I really don't trust Barkley. And I think Driscoll and Woodside are question marks at this point. What are your thoughts on that? Would you try and make a trade uh, Bridgewater or even hire a current free agent guy for the backup spot? Well, I think regardless, I mean, unless the Bengals, here's the thing, Andy Dalton, you can say what you want about him and his primetime performances and all of that. And, Arm strength, long. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff you could really nitpick about him. One of the things he has been very good about is being durable. So the Bengals have been a bit spoiled a little, uh, you know, in terms of they haven't really had to think about. I mean, yes, they don't have necessarily the best quarterback in the league, but they've got a pretty good one. And they haven't really had to think about the fact of if he gets hurt. Now, he did in 2015 during an amazing season he was having and AJ McCarron came in, played admirable. And, uh, you know, but then at that time, the Bengals had a pretty good backup quarterback. Now they have a, a very similar guy in Matt Barkley in terms of a successful college guy that hasn't really been able to start and uh, for, for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, it hasn't been the college guy that he was. I, I think regardless, I mean, obviously, in, in theory, if you want to trade for Teddy Bridgewater or other guys, I think in theory, that makes that makes a lot of sense. But who knows? Quarterbacks net high trade yields. What are you really going to try and give up for a guy that's a backup quarterback? I think if you're really going to look at a, a Bridgewater or somebody like that, you got to be in a pretty bad way at quarterback, meaning Dalton's hurt. He really looks terrible. Um He's not getting the playbook, which none of that really falls into the Andy Dalton tent, if you will. Um, I think I think a trade for a Bridgewater or somebody like that is is if the Bengals are in a really bad way in terms of Andy Dalton and, and what's going on there. I actually, I mean, and I know I'm a USC homer a little bit, but I actually am a little bit higher on Barkley than than some Bengals fans are, and not not to the extent of maybe starting games and starting a playoff game like AJ McCarron did, but maybe as a spot start, I think, you know, he played for a couple of teams that weren't that great. He was on the bears when the bears weren't that great. And um, he, he just kind of played for some teams that were blah. Um, I think that this roster with the uh, offensive talent, he can, he can maybe get by a little bit better than he did on some other teams. If the Bengals needed to rely on him, I do agree though with Carlos that if the, if Dalton does go down for a significant period of time, um, then I worry. And I think then that's when you kind of maybe mortgage the future a little bit in terms of draft capital, which the Bengals highly value. And then you look at getting, uh, you know, a guy that might be out there who knows it may even be AJ McCarron because the bills are in love with Josh Allen and, even though they brought in AJ McCarron to maybe be a bridge starter. I mean, it sounds like he might not even be able to do that. So, um, you know, I, I think, I, I think, I think they're okay going into the season with, with Dalton and Barkley. I do not trust Logan Woodside and, and I'm just, I'm not going to say too much. I've heard some things about him. I've 
obviously that that DUI arrest shortly before uh, I think it was in June. Um, that's alarming. Um, productive kid out of Toledo and uh, has has a decent skill set. Not an overly big guy. Probably pretty similar to Dalton in terms of mobility and being able to do some different things. But I I, I don't. I think that's a guy who needs to mature in a number of different fronts, both uh, emotionally and as a professional quarterback. Um, so I, I'm not really, I'm not really big on him. And and Driscoll, he's almost more of an athlete than a quarterback. And uh, I, I'm just not, I'm not really sold on him. I'd rather have more of a, a, at least a tiny bit more of a polished guy, a guy with NFL experience, a guy who could, you know, really do some, do a couple of things that Dalton could do should Dalton go down. So I think, I think right now, as we look at it, it'll probably be Dalton and uh, Barkley. I'm okay with that. I'm not, obviously it's not the greatest duo, um, but I'm okay with that. And I think they try and develop Woodside on, on the practice squad uh, along with maybe somebody else. We also need to keep uh, our eye on cuts. Um, you know, they picked up Driscoll after final cuts and uh, you know, that could be, that could be an, somebody that they look at, as well, likely someone that they play against in the in the preseason. The Bengals seem to like to pick up some of those guys, so um, keep an eye on that. But for now, I'm okay with Dalton and and Barkley. Um, not the best, but it's okay. Um, I like this one from Nick Marks, and it was from earlier in the show. Basically talking about Andy Dalton quarterback sneaking and if that's going to be kind of a staple in the Bengals offense. Now in recent years, we've seen a lot of it. And when I looked up Andy Dalton's stats, he actually has, I think 16 or 18 touch touchdown runs in his career, which is kind of a lot for a guy that's not, you know, he's not a Michael Vick. He's not a, you know, a, a, a quote unquote running quarterback. He's not a Cam Newton. Um, I, I it by far outweighs Ken Anderson and Boomer Esiason and Carson Palmer in terms of touchdown rushes, which is, which is, you know, it's a pretty impressive stat. Um, there are a lot of they do a lot of uh, RPOs, run pass options. They've done that before. I think I saw a little bit more of it under Hugh Jackson than I did uh, under Ken Zampezi or Bill Lazor, but w- we've seen it. And I think it's going to be particularly effective if the Bengals can get push up front, obviously, and if the running game can be at least somewhat established and more so than the past couple of years, because I think at that point. If you at least have the threat to say, hey, we're going to hand it off to, to mix into Bernard, Walton, whoever, um, and that's the, that's the play the defense is going to read, that's going to open something up where he can bootleg it out um, potentially on the outside. Now, Dalton for not being – I mean, he's not small. He's about 6'2", six, 6'2 six, six, um, you know, 215, 220. For not being the 6'5", six, 6'6 six, six guy that you want, you know, just to charge forward on a quick snap and move forward and on a fourth and inches, he's actually been effective getting into that, the scrum there and uh, getting some, some first downs and things like that. So um, I still think it's a, it's a, it's a part of the game plan. I think it's going to be used. I just, I don't think it's going to be used as much as we saw, you know, Hugh Jackson really got creative with a lot of different stuff. And uh, we've seen some of that dissipate since he left, but I think Dalton will still do some things in terms of running, in terms of RPOs, all that kind of stuff. And I think that's going to be a staple this year, but um, maybe just not as heavily as we've seen in uh, previous years. But that that's okay. Um, 
you know, I mean, uh, it, it, if if other things are working, then you don't you won't really need that, except for when you need you know kind of get a little creative and and give a different wrinkle to um, the defense, and that's okay. And I'm gonna I'm gonna end on this. It's not really a question, but it's from Mr. Blaze one eight seven, and I think it's because. I, I wrote this on a recent mailbag on cincyjungle.com. He wrote, here's my bold prediction. Cedric Abway, he will play right tackle, and he'll be a good one. Now, I didn't write that Cedric Abway, he was going to be a good right tackle. I just said that I think that he has shown improvement, and I think that he might win that right tackle spot this year, um, at least at the beginning. I also don't believe that whoever's going to play right guard or right tackle is going to play all 16 games, be it because of injury, be it because of effectiveness or lack thereof. Um, I, I just think that um, I, I think they might try and get him out there based on Frank's Paul, Frank Pollock's coaching. And I think also they you can't underestimate a guy who is in the last year of his contract. The Bengals declined his fifth year option of his contract. Rightfully so. That's fine. Guys playing in a contract year, they tend to play harder. They want, especially in football, because that second contract is, Chances are it's the last one you're getting, so um, or at least the last long one you're getting. So you know, I think I I think there's some some merit there. I you know I I could sound like an idiot two months from now. Who knows? But uh, I'm kind of on, on the same line with with Mr. Blaze one eight seven there in our live YouTube chat. Uh, we're gonna get out of here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I want to give a little shout out to. Um, both Andrew Seiler and Nick Marks have mentioned them before on the, sh on the show, but as we kicked off the show, uh, Andrew Seiler says, love you guys had a bad day at work. And this is a nice way to end the day. You guys rule. And, uh, Nick Marks is glad to catch you all live this evening. Um, so, you know, we all, first of all, Andrew, I hope your day gets better. And I, you got, you got two more left in the work week considering, if you work a standard work week, but um, hope the rest of the week gets better for you. I hope this podcast at least got your mind off of some stuff for a little bit. Thanks for the kind words and uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks to all of you for tuning in and for your questions. Uh, appreciate all of your support. If you haven't yet, subscribe to our YouTube channel, subscribe to our iTunes account, subscribe to SoundCloud, uh, all of our materials on there. We do put up most of our material on cincyjungle.com. You can also keep it there at Cincy Jungle uh, during training camp because there's going to be a ton, a ton of material and a ton of stuff coming up on that, uh, on that account. Uh, so, so keep it there. We're going to put a lot of material out, and um, I think you'll enjoy it. If you need to get in touch with us or if you want to get in touch with us via, uh, via Twitter at Bengals OBI and via email the OB Insider at uh, gmail.com. Appreciate you tuning in. And uh, I'm, I apologize. We only had me tonight. <laughs> Hope that was still okay. Uh, I, I had a couple of tentative guests scheduled for tonight. But uh, we'll, we'll have more, especially as training camp goes on. And um, I, we'll have some good stuff coming down the pike, I promise. And uh, appreciate all the support. We'll talk to you guys next week.
Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. Also, you listen to podcasts, check it out.